Good afternoon, everyone. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And it is a pleasure to return to Buchanan Street in the centre of Glasgow. We normally come out once a week, and this week is a turn to be in uh, Buchanan Street. And we're here simply with one, one aim and one goal in mind, in order that we might draw to your attention uh, the claims and the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're a local congregation. We meet at two Thornwood Terrace, just off Dumbarton Road, opposite the police station there. You'll go up a hill and then you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. After that, you'll meet our building on the crossroads and we would extend a, a warm welcome to you at 2 Thornwood Terrace. We meet on the Lord's Day, that's Sunday at 11 a.m. and again in the early evening at 6 p.m. We also have a, a midweek meeting where we meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30. And we would extend a sincere and warm welcome to you all to come along. We know that we're out here, but most of you are just simply passing by, and all you will hear will probably be a, a sentence or two. So why not come along and actually visit a service and hear what we have to say concerning Christianity. You know, many people today have dispensed and rejected Christianity. But if the truth be known, they probably have never ever really considered it. They've simply decided to reject it because someone else has rejected it. Or indeed someone else has told them to reject it. Well, friends, we would invite you to come and think for yourself, discover the truths that are found in Christianity. We seek to preach from the Bible, which is the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, uh, the Bible tells us. And therefore, when we speak from the Bible, it is a message from God. It is God revealing His mind and His will to mankind. And therefore we are urged by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself to search the Scriptures. Not only to read them, yes it's good to read them, but we are urged to actually search the Scriptures. To find out what the Scriptures have to say to us. The scriptures may indeed be an old book. No one's going to deny that. But the scriptures are bang up to date. They tell us about things that are relevant today because it's God's word. It's timeless and it speaks to mankind whether it be 4,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago or in the 21st century. It still has something to say to us. 
we want to ask ourselves therefore in the beginning as we pass by we'd like to give you something to consider what is Christianity all about what has it got to say to us today in the 21st century here on Buchanan Street in Glasgow well let me read a verse and I would like to speak upon this verse to you this afternoon it's a verse that has been written by inspiration by the Apostle Paul himself and he was writing to a young man he was Timothy he was a pastor in a place called Ephesus which is today in modern Turkey and poor Timothy was having some difficulties in uh, the congregations in Ephesus and the Apostle Paul was writing to him in order to encourage him and this is what he says or at least part of what he says it's in 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 and again we would urge you to read these things in your own Bibles don't simply take my word for it you'll find these things in the Word of God and in 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 this is what Paul says to Timothy this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and he goes on to say of whom I am the chief of whom I am the chief and really in that small verse that little verse we find a lot of gospel truth contained within it this is a faithful saying this is something that you can hang on to this is something that is real this is something that is true this is something that you're not to dispense with because this defines Christianity this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation this is something that all of us are to deceive we're to deceive this not because the Apostle Paul wrote it but he wrote it under inspiration therefore he was moved by the Holy Spirit to write this for our learning and for our edification that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners now we've all come into the world we wouldn't be here today if we didn't come into the world but the Bible would teach us that the Lord Jesus Christ who is the only begotten Son of God he came into the world in a supernatural manner he did not come in by ordinary generation there's no need for me to elaborate on what that means today but he was not conceived in the normal manner he was conceived by a miraculous operation by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary now there is no way in this world can I possibly explain to you that glorious and that wonderful miracle I would never try to no one can it's a miracle it is something that is beyond our understanding but the evidence is all crystal clear that this truly did happen why do I say that I say that because if you look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ he is the only one 
that lived a perfect life. He never sinned. There's no other individual like him. He never sinned in his thought life. He never sinned by what he said. He never had to apologize to anyone. He never sinned by any deeds that he committed. He alone lived a perfect life. Completely and fully and finally fulfilling the law of God totally without exception. And this could only happen, friends, because he was one who was born without original sin. Therefore, he could not sin, and he alone lived a perfect life. And he came into this world, he lived a perfect life, but he came with a mission. And that mission, friends, we're glad to tell you this afternoon, was to save sinners. To save sinners. Now there's a thought for us this afternoon, on this glorious winter afternoon that the Lord has given to us. Do we consider ourselves to be sinners? What does the Bible say? We must take all our doctrines and all our teaching from the Word of God. What does it say of us? It says in Romans chapter 3 and at verse 23, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. And if that's what the Bible says, that's what God says. The God who is holy and pure and perfect and righteous, this is what God says upon the whole of mankind. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore, if we go back to that verse that I already highlighted, it talks about Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners. Therefore, we find out something here. We are sinners. We might not like to be described as sinners. That's true. But nevertheless, if we're to learn, if we're to accept what God's Word tells us, He would tell us that we are sinners. Therefore, we say to you, at the very beginning of our time here this afternoon, that there is a message of hope in Christianity. And this message is bound up in the fact that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we have to acknowledge what the Bible says about us, that we are sinners. And therefore, in some sense, it's true to say to you this afternoon that the Lord Jesus Christ has come into this world to save persons just like you and I, just like you and me. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ has come in to this world to save. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, of whom I am the chief. Now that's quite a remarkable thing for him to say that. Why? Because he was the great Apostle Paul. He was the most exercised and most experienced Christian that ever lived and he had been an arch persecutor of the Christian church he was on his way to the to Damascus 
what was he going to do in Damascus? He was going to go there and he was hoping to round up people who were Christians. And he was going to take them back to Jerusalem in order that they might be punished and persecuted. Why was he doing this? Because he wanted to destroy the early Christian church. He had no love for the Lord Jesus. He had no desire for the, the gospel to be spread and to be propagated. He didn't want people to believe upon the Lord Jesus. Therefore he goes to Damascus. But what happens to him in Damascus or on the road to Damascus? Why, he has an encounter with Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ arrests him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Paul was converted from that moment on. And he became a new man. He was a new individual. The one who was a great persecutor was now going to be a great preacher. Indeed, he was appointed to be the preacher to the Gentiles. That was his commission. And we are led to believe and understand that he sought to fulfill that commission with all the zeal and with all the gusto that he could. Before he devoted his energies seeking to destroy the Christian church, now things had changed. Why? Because he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. But even after he was saved, even after he was a notable Christian, even after he had made great progress in the Christian life, he was one who still recognized of whom I am the chief. <coughs> so what about us today then? What about you this afternoon? Has this verse got anything to say to you? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Have we gone to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we know therefore the, the forgiveness and the freedom and the salvation that he brings? Is this something that we know in our experience? Because that's why he came. He came in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And friends, we need to realize and we need to accept what the Bible teaches us regarding ourselves and our persons. We might be fit and healthy. We might have a sound mind. We might enjoy a, a good life here and have all the things that this world can give us. But the Bible describes us as being lost if we're still in our state of nature. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? We're here this afternoon. We want to talk to you about Christianity and about its relevance to us today. But we want to ask a question of you. What is a Christian? Well, you might say a Christian is someone who goes to church. Well, that's true to a certain extent. Or you might say that Christian is a, is a religious person. Well, that's true to a certain extent also. But 
He's more than that. Because there are many religious people, many, many religious people, and they're not Christians. Uh, a Muslim may be a, a religious person, but he would never describe himself as a Christian. And the same would be for a Buddhist. And many people may be religious, but they're not Christian. But friends, I want to ask you, what is a Christian? Well, let me try to tell you. It's a broad subject. I can only touch upon it. But if we look at the life of Matthew Levi, we will find out something about what a Christian really is. We find this in the early part of the ministry of the Lord Jesus when he was very popular. He was going about Palestine and Galilee at that time and he meets someone called Matthew Levi. Now Matthew Levi was, we are told, he was sitting at the receipt of custom. You know Matthew Levi, what was he? He was a tax collector. Now we'll talk about that later on but here he was as a tax collector sitting at the receipt of custom and what happens the Lord Jesus Christ passes by him and sees him and says to him this words follow me here he is about his business collecting taxes and the Lord Jesus sees him and says to him follow me what do we find we find that Matthew Levi heard the call of the Lord Jesus he left everything behind and he began to follow Christ. And therefore, first of all, surely we can see that a Christian is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is one who has, in some real way, heard the call of Christ. And he began to follow him. That, friends, is one way to describe a Christian. He follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can that be said of you this afternoon? There may be many people here who are passing by who might say to themselves, well, I'm a Christian. Well, I want to ask you then, if you're a Christian, do you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you seek to walk in his footsteps? You know, the Lord Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. That's a way of following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, many people might say they're Christians, but when you look at their lives, they're not very Christ-like at all. They don't follow the Lord Jesus. They don't walk in his footsteps. From that moment when Matthew Levi heard the call of Christ, he began to follow him. He left his old life behind. Tell me, friend, if you're a Christian, have you left your old life behind? Matthew Levi left his life of sin behind. You know he was a tax collector. He was a, he was a Jew and he worked for the Romans. The Romans were ones who had power over the Jews at this time. They occupied the land of Judea. And they were the, the rulers of the Jews. And because of this, they had to pay tax. And the Jews hated this tax. They hated paying taxes to a foreign power. But nevertheless, they had to do it. And the Romans used the Jews to collect tax from their own people in order to give it to the Romans. And if the tax collector was very good, he was able to collect more than what was required. 
and keep the balance for himself. And many of them were rich because of their unsavory occupation. But Matthew Levi, when he heard the call of the Lord Jesus, he left everything behind. And this tells us that a Christian is someone who has turned his back upon his old sinful life. This is what the Bible calls repentance. Now, friends, before we can follow the Lord Jesus, or maybe I should say, before we can truly call ourselves Christians, we are to know what it is to repent. We are to forsake our sins. That's how Jesus began his public ministry. Did he not say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand? Does that not tell us, therefore, that we are to repent and turn away from our sins? You know, it's not just enough to say we're sorry. You know, the murderer, he says his, he's sorry when his sins find him out. But if we're Christians, we are to turn our backs upon our sins. We're to confess them, we're to be sorry for them, but we must have this desire that we will turn away from them. In other words, that we will stop committing them. What is sin, you may well ask me. And indeed, many people need to ask, because today no one really knows what sin is all about. Well, sin is any want of, transgression of, the law of God. Sin is any want of or transgression of the law of God. In other words, sin is breaking God's law. God has given you a law. He has codified that law for us, for clarity, for simplicity in the Ten Commandments. And we have it in the Bible. But also, friends, because we're made in God's image, God has in, in some way inscribed the basics and the tenets of the Ten Commandments upon our very nature. And therefore, every one of us has the law of God upon our hearts. Yes, by sin, that law is not as clear as it should be. That is true. It is defaced in some sense, and we don't have it as clearly on our hearts as we once had, but nevertheless, we have it. And as I said, it's written for us in the Ten Commandments. That's God's law, and every one of us is required to, to uh, obey that law. But you know, friends, we cannot obey that law. We are required to, but we cannot. Why can we not obey it? We cannot obey it because we have a sinful nature. Where did this sinful nature come from? Well, it came from our first parents. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 3, uh, chapter 3, you will find there one of the saddest incidents that ever happened to mankind. In fact, we might say it is the most saddest thing that ever happened to man. What happened there? Well, you must read it for yourselves. But basically, we find in the Bible that God created a perfect pair, Adam and Eve. 
Adam was created from the dust and God breathed the life of God into him and he became a living soul and from Adam he created Eve male and female after the image of God in knowledge holiness and truth that's what the Bible teaches us our first parents were created perfect but in Genesis chapter 3 what do we find we find that the evil one came and tempted Eve Adam was given a very simple command you can eat from the trees in the garden but there's one tree that you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and if you eat from that tree you will die a very clear commandment that's what he was told and Eve, and Eve was tempted by the the evil one he said did God really say that you will not die why don't you take it why don't you eat it she did she took it and she ate it and therefore from that moment on yes uh, sorry I can't hear you you need to get it's God's what God is real yes huh? because of sin sir because of sin that's where it came from a good question all our problems come from the fact that we have sin in this world that's where it all comes from that's why there's wars that's why there's family disputes that's why there's murders robberies thefts violence that's why there's bad weather that's why there's weeds that's why there's hospitals that's why there's a police force and armies that's why there's graves that's why there's death that's why there's all kinds of sickness and tears it all comes from the fact that sin has entered into human experience something that was foreign to us our first parents were created perfect but Eve succumbed to temptation she took the fruit and then she gave some to her husband he ate it he disobeyed and ever since that time the world as we know it has changed you read this in Genesis chapter 3 and friends the more that you read this and understand it the more you will be able to make sense of our wicked world today that's why we have all these problems it all can be stemmed to this day away back at near the beginning of time when Adam and Eve sinned when they sided with God's enemy and when sin entered into our experience but there is great hope in the Christian gospel this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and one day friends this world as we know it shall be transformed there will be a great transformation there shall be a new heaven and a new earth and all the effects of sin shall be completely and utterly eradicated there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new people that will live in it who will that people be 
That people will be those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who have the gift of eternal life, who have their sins forgiven, who are reconciled to God, who believe the gospel that we're seeking to proclaim to you this afternoon. We began by asking some time ago regarding what is a Christian. A Christian is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's one who has left his old sinful life behind and he has begun to take up the cross and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we began to look at the life of Matthew Levi who was a publican, who was a tax collector, yet he heard the voice of the Lord Jesus calling him to follow him. And he took up that call and he followed him and turned his back upon his old sinful life. But what else does, does describe a Christian? Well, we find again, if we look at the life of Matthew Levi, here we find him after he began to follow the Lord Jesus, he has a dinner party in his house. He has a dinner party in his house. And who does he invite to the dinner party? Well, he invites his old colleagues. He invites his old tax-collecting friends and colleagues and associates. And he also invites the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. Why did he do that? Well, he did that to tell the people to make a public declaration that he was now walking in a new direction. And he wanted his, his uh, tax-collecting friends to meet and to be introduced to the Lord Jesus that they too might follow him, that they might find the new life that's to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we have another example of what a Christian is. He is one who is concerned that others would hear the gospel. He has a concern for the salvation of others. He may well be going to heaven himself, but he doesn't want to go to heaven by himself. He wants to bring his family, his friends, his colleagues, his neighbors, and indeed anyone that he comes in contact with, he wants to introduce them to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because this man's life has been transformed. Matthew was full of seeking after filthy lucre. His life was full of seeking to get things that this world could give to him. But when he met Jesus, his whole world was turned upside down and he wanted others to share in the joy and in the peace and in the blessedness and in the happiness that he experienced. And therefore, here's another mark of a Christian. He will seek to introduce Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, to others. Now let me ask you this afternoon, there may well be persons here this afternoon who are passing by, and they may well describe themselves as Christians. Well, how do you fear compared to Matthew Levi? Do you make any effort to tell the good news? Oh, we know it's difficult. It's not easy. Especially in the time that we live in, 
we know these things are not easy. Many people get angry and upset if you ever mention the name of the Lord Jesus. You can talk about God and you won't get much problem talking about God. You say to people, do you believe in God? And they'll say, yes, I believe in God. You tell them then that the devil believes in God. But ask them, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And you find a different reaction altogether. But ask yourself, test yourself. Do you ever seek to introduce Jesus to your family, to your friends, to your work colleagues, to a stranger? Well, Matthew Levi was one who experienced. He was one who tasted that the Lord was good and he wanted others to come to that same knowledge and that same experience. And if we might say, this is some reason why we would come out this afternoon. We have collectively had some experience following the Lord Jesus Christ. We have turned our backs upon our old ways. We have seen our own sinful life. We have seen that we were lost. We have seen that we were perishing. We had no hope in this world. And therefore, some day came when the truth of the gospel was revealed to us and we saw something of the glory and the wonder and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and we closed in with him as our Savior and Lord. And we have a great hope. A great hope through grace. Our hope and our faith is not based upon ourselves or upon our congregation or anything. Our hope is built on nothing else upon what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's tree. And therefore, we seek to introduce him to you this afternoon. And it is a privilege and a pleasure to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing to bring to you something of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take a short break, but we will resume in a moment. And may the Lord bless his word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon, folks. We're back from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation. We meet in the Partick area of Glasgow to Thornwood Terrace is our address. Go up Dumbarton Road and when you come to the police station opposite there go up a hill and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School and next door to Thornwood Primary School at the crossroads you'll find our building we meet on the Lord's Day now that's Sunday at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. we also have a, a midweek meeting Wednesday at 7.30 and we do issue a warm and sincere welcome to everyone that they might come along and hear something more here as you pass by you can only hear snippets but we would invite you to come and bring others with you we have nothing to be ashamed of Christianity is not something 
that was done in a corner. It's a message that's relevant to every one of us. It doesn't matter about the color of our skin, or our sex, or our age, or our background, our upbringing, whether we're educated or uneducated. It has a message that's relevant to the young or to the old. It is of universal application, and it's something that every one of us needs to hear, and we need to make a response. And one reason that we come out is because we know that most people today don't go to a, a Christian place of worship. And regrettably, we have to acknowledge that even if they do go to a, a Christian place of worship, very often they don't hear the authentic Christian gospel. Now, we're not perfect. We're not going to say that for one moment. But we want to proclaim to you this afternoon one who is perfect. We're not proclaiming ourselves. We are proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, that day will come. The Bible tells us, and this is our textbook, we take all that we say from the Word of God. The day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that might seem somewhat ridiculous to you because we're living in the Western world and we have to acknowledge that as far as the eye can see, Christianity and its influence is degenerating. It's not having the effect that it once had. But nevertheless, we take our truths from the Word of God, and that day will come when every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. All false religions shall be subdued, and it shall be exposed, and it shall be brought to naught. That's what will happen. Jesus himself did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And by that statement, he was telling everyone that there's only one way to be saved, there's only one way to be right with God. There's only one way to have your sins forgiven. There's only one way to be found in glory at the end when this life is all over. In other words, there's only one way to have peace with God. And that's found only in Jesus Christ. We know that today... We are in an environment where there are multiple religions and indeed the number is increasing daily. One calculated some time ago that there were at least 4,200 religions in this world. 
Well, that number will be out of date, and there will be more. But, friends, we say this without fear of contradiction. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one Savior. There's only one way to be reconciled to God. And that Savior is none other than Jesus Christ. Why is He so unique? He is unique because He is the Son of God. And that means, being the Son of God, He is God. He is the second person in the Trinity. The Christian God is three persons. One God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. There is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And the Son of God is the one who came from heaven. He came down from heaven on a, a mercy mission. He came down to heaven to seek and to save that which was lost. And in order to do this, He had to come down from heaven and He had to become just like us. That's why He took a true body and a reasonable soul. That's why by all appearance, He would just be like an ordinary man. There is nothing outward that would cause us to see that there was anything special about Jesus Christ. But He became a man ultimately in order that He might suffer and that He might die. And that's what happened. He lived a perfect life for about 33 years. And for three years of that 33, He exercised a public ministry. And in that public ministry, He clearly displayed that He was the only God-appointed Savior. He came to this world, began His ministry, and he preached, telling people to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when he performed miracles, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that vindicated his ministry. And he was able to raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind, and stop the ears of the deaf. Loosen the tongue of the dumb. He was able to feed 5,000 and 4,000 by creating bread. He was able to turn water into wine. And he did countless miracles demonstrating that he was the Son of God who had become the Son of Man. But the Jews rejected him, just like the vast amount of people today, they are rejecting him. The Bible tells us, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And here we are in Buchanan Street, 
on the 20th of January 2023 in the centre of Glasgow and with all our infirmities, with all our shortcomings and failures, we are seeking to some extent to bring to you the good news of the Christian gospel. That the Lord Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And friends, do we realize that by nature, as we have come out of the womb, the Bible would describe us as being lost. Why are we lost? We're lost because we're sinners. And why are we, why are we sinners? We are sinners because we have been born with a sinful nature. And as we grow up, and it does not take very long, that sinful nature will manifest itself in sinful acts. If you're a parent, you simply have to look at your children. Why is it you have to discipline them? Why is it you have to correct them? Why is it that they do naughty things without being told? It is because they have been born with a sinful nature. They have Psalmist David said, David said, I was shapen in iniquity. We have that sinful nature. And it's all come down from us, from our first parents, who were created perfect, but who fell and who sinned. And that's why we are described as being lost. We are lost in the sense that we don't have spiritual life in us. We don't love the Lord our God as we should. That's why, friends, we need to be saved. And this is what the Bible tells us about. The way to be saved. How Jesus Christ worked out a salvation. How he was able to go to the cross, offer up a perfect sacrifice that satisfied the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law. He lived life. He did it in order that you and I might be set free from our sins. And that's why the prophet Isaiah, 600 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus, was able to tell the people, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Now the prophet is not telling us to look unto him personally. No, he's speaking by inspiration. He's got a message from God. And what is he saying? He is saying in his message, Look unto me, look unto God, look unto the Savior. Who is the Savior? The Savior is Jesus Christ. That's why he said when he was upon the earth, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There we have a great universal gospel invitation from none other than the Son of God. Come unto me. And this is what 
Isaiah was saying 600 years before, pointing to the time when Christ would come. Look unto me and be ye saved. Look unto the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. What does it mean to look upon him? Well, it does not simply mean to look upon him with our eyes. Many people saw the Lord Jesus. Many people heard him speak. And they looked upon him and they heard him, but they were never saved. No, something else is required. What it means when it says, look unto me, it means to say, look with faith. Look upon what I have done. Look upon my work on Calvary's tree. Look upon what the Son of God has done in the room and in the place of sinners. That's what he's saying to you and to me in the Word of God. Look unto me, believe, believe that I am the Son of God. Believe that I am the only God-appointed Savior. Believe that your sins have been paid for by what Christ did on Calvary's tree. Believe that He has risen again. And surely this is wonderful news for people to realize today. That Jesus Christ did suffer and He did die. And He was taken down from the cross cold and put into a tomb. There he was there on there he was on the Friday night. There he was all day Saturday. But what happened on the first day of the week? He arose. When his followers went to the grave on the first day of, of the week, which is Sunday, what did they find? They found that the stone was rolled away. The stone that had been set there to seal the tomb was rolled away. And when they looked into the tomb, what did they see? They saw an empty grave. They went and they examined the grave themselves. They examined the tomb and what did they find? It was empty. Is this not a, a wonderful then invitation to you? this afternoon why don't you examine the claims of Christianity very often people simply dismiss Christianity without giving it a second thought some prominent person has said something about Christianity and what happens multitudes believe it surely friends you should examine the facts for yourself are you going to let someone else decide this most important matter without giving it due consideration for yourself here we are nothing special about us we're seeking to preach the gospel we're seeking to hand out gospel tracts to you we hope that you will take them maybe you can't read them at the moment Put them in your pocket. Read them when you get home. Please don't put them in the bin. If you don't want them, return them. We will happily take them back. But surely it's worth consideration. The, the great claims of the Lord Jesus. The one who came from heaven. And as a result, whether you like it or not, he turned the world upside down by his teachings. And indeed, his world, this world today is still being affected by the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ like no other. Did he not say, 
heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. What a claim! This poor radical rabbi, this one who had nowhere to lay his head, who had no money, who had nothing of this world's possessions, was able to say, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And that's true. It's true today. Here we are. We have his word. We're seeking to proclaim it. Multitudes love it. He has billions of followers. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. That's what Jesus said. Why did he say this? He said this because he is the Son of God. He's the one who has come from heaven. And he's come in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And friends, we have to realize, however unpleasant and painful it might be for us, that we're lost without Christ. We have no hope in this world. What's life all about? What is it? What's life all about? Is it simply a matter of being born? Growing up through infant times? Then into school days, adolescence, youth? Maybe then begin to work? Maybe then married, have family? Maybe then grandchildren? What then? Into eternity? Is that what life's all about? Is there not more to life than this? Does not your heart tell you that we're made for eternity? Do you not realize, friends, that we're all rapidly heading towards eternity? Soon we will go to our long home. Where will you go? That's one of the tracks we're, we've got handing out this afternoon. The time will come when you will be gathered to your fathers. You will go the way of all the earth. Where will you go? The Bible tells us where we will go. You know, the atheist deludes himself by saying and by thinking and trying to believe that there's no life after death when we know that's not true. How do we know it's not true? We know it's not true because Jesus died and Jesus was put in the tomb. But Jesus rose up again. And the very fact that Jesus rose would tell us that we shall all rise. That death is not the end. And I put it to you, no matter how much you might want to stamp this out or erase it from your, from your heart, you know that you're made for eternity. It's part of your DNA. It's part of being made in the image of God. You know you know, friends, that there's more to life than simply living here for 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years. Eternity is in your heart. It's there. And don't be deluded by others who tell you it's not. It's a reality. And Jesus says to us today here on Buchanan Street, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Oh, there's a thing for you to consider, friends. Many people are rushing around today seeking what they might amass, 
seeking to enjoy all the things that this world can give them. They're seeking to get on in their work. They're seeking to bulge their bank balances. They're seeking to own property and all kinds of things. But in the process, friends, they're not concerned about their soul. And you might amass everything this world can give you, but you'll lose the most precious thing of all. What is that? It is your soul. What is your soul? Your soul is yourself. At the moment, friends, we are body and soul. Our souls are in our bodies. But one day at death, there shall be a great separation. That's what death means, by the way. When the Bible talks about death, it means separation. A natural death is the separation of the body and the soul. And the body shall decay, whether it's burnt or whether it goes to the grave, it shall decay. But your soul shall live forever. The soul is you. It's your personality. It is you. It's the ego. It is you. Now, where will you go then, friends? Where will you go when the time is over? You know you came into this world and you were not considered at all. You had no part in it. We don't need to go into the biology, but is that not a fact? That when you entered into this world, you knew nothing about it. You played no part in it. And so it is when you shall depart from this world. When God shall take your life away from you, you will know you have no part in it. It's something that God has determined, something He has decreed. But that time when you pass into eternity, friends, your eternal destiny shall be secured. That solemn day when body and soul shall be separated, that time, that day will determine your eternal destiny. Where will you go? The Bible tells us there are two places and we will go to one of two places. Jesus has come to take us to glory. Jesus has done everything that was necessary in order to bring sinners to heaven at last. We will either go to heaven or we will go to that other place, that terrible place called hell. Where will you go? I admit, friends, this is a very serious question and we dare not skimp over it or make light of it, as many do. Many talk about hell as a place where they'll meet all their friends and somehow it will be some great party. Complete and utter nonsense, I can assure you. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost, he talks more about hell than he does about heaven. And he tells us these things in order that we might be warned, in order that we might escape, in order that we would do all that's required, that we would not be found in that terrible place. Don't think that hell will be some party. It will be a place of torment. Of, of torment. It will be God's prison house. Here 
in this world we put prisoners in prison. We put those who are dangerous and violent and criminals. We put them in a prison. God does that with sinners who don't repent. God does that with sinners who do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very, very solemn subject, friends. We dare not make light of it. That's why we come out to tell you there's another way. How can you be reconciled to God? How can you have your sins forgiven? How can you have the gift of eternal life? It's all bound up in Christ. You must receive Him. You must call upon Him. Don't go to a minister in order to be saved. Don't go to a priest. Don't go to a pope or a cardinal. Don't go to Muhammad. Don't go to Confucius or Buddha or any other religion or any other person. You must go to the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone has the power to forgive sins. He alone has the power to save every individual that will come to him. And he calls out in the gospel this afternoon, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Friends, do you have a burden? What is that burden? Well, let me tell you what it is. It's sin. And it's because you're not reconciled to God. There's a way where you can cast off that burden. It is by going to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take a short break, but may God bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We are a local congregation, and this is something that we do on regular occasions. We come out with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we seek to bring you something of the authentic gospel. We invite you to come along to our services. We meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace, just off Dumbarton Road, opposite the police station. Go up that hill there. You'll come to Thornwood Primary School. And then you'll meet our building at the crossroads. And we do extend a sincere, warm welcome to you all. We meet on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m. And again at 6 in the early evening. And we also have a, a midweek meeting, 7.30 on Wednesday. Please come along. We highlight these things in order that you might be assured that we are a local congregation. We operate in the Partick area of Glasgow. Therefore, we're not here today and gone tomorrow. We're not charlatans. We are a Scottish registered charity. And you'll find that we are bona fide, genuine 
seeking to live out our Christian life and experience in the, in the city where we are situated. We want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He came from heaven and He came in order that He might save. And this would tell us something that we might find uncomfortable. But we need to be saved. We need to be saved. What do we need to be saved from? Well, we need to be saved from our sins. An old-fashioned word. A word that you might not hear even if you do go to a Christian place of worship. You might not hear about sin, but we would tell you that really the Bible doesn't really make sense unless you hear about sin and that you know something about it. We're all sinners. Yes, we're all sinners. That's God's verdict upon us. Oh, God's real, my dear, I can assure you. God's real, as you know. You, you don't need to be told you know God's real. He's a, he's a reality. He's all around us. God's center is everywhere. And His circumference is nowhere. Ah, you'll meet God one day, my dear. You'll meet Him. You'll stand before Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in the body. According to that He hath done. Whether it be good or bad you know I don't need to prove the existence of God the Bible proves or seeks to prove the existence of God why not because you know God in some sense you know God you know it because you're made in the image of God and God has revealed himself at least in two ways to us what are these two ways? He's revealed himself to us outwardly in creation. For anyone to say there is no God and then to look at creation to see its order, to appreciate its beauty, its design, its purpose and how the harmony of the creation, it beggars belief that someone could say there is no God and that this world came into being out of nothing how oh, this is ridiculous what does the Bible tell us the Bible tells us in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and it teaches us the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the space of three to six days and all very good. That's what the Bible teaches us. And then we, as we look at creation and whether we look at it through a, a microscope or a telescope, what do we find? We find the, the fingerprint of Almighty God. We find order, beauty, design, 
purpose. We see something of the hand of the Creator. And therefore, I don't need to tell you and try to prove the existence of God. You simply need to open up your eyes. Every, every day that you get up, every time you open your eyes and you look out your window, what happens? There's a sermon being preached to you. God is. That's what you see. But more than that, God has revealed himself to you in your conscience. Where did you get your sense of right and wrong? Where did you get it from? You couldn't get that from evolution, as the, as the evolutionists would try to tell us. Not a chance. Impossible. You got it from God. He put his law in you. And the conscience works with that law. And therefore, when you lie, you know you've done something wrong. When you've committed adultery, you know you've done something wrong. When you blaspheme, you know you've done something wrong. Because your conscience tells you. When you steal, when you lie, when you cheat, when you murder, when you do these things, what happens? Your conscience condemns you. The conscience that God has given to you. He has witnessed, not just externally, but internally in your conscience. Therefore, God is a reality. A reality that we cannot erase. We realize that today, in our particular society, many people would love to eradicate God, the Bible, Christianity, Christ, from the life of the nation. And they're making concerted efforts in order to do this. But they can never do it. They never ever will. They'll never be successful. Because God is. And God is the one who not only created this world, but he's the God who upholds this world. And we are eternally grateful for that. And God is the one who looked upon mankind's plight and condition. After he made Adam and Eve, they were perfect. But when they fell, when they sinned, sin came upon us all. Sin affected mankind. Sin blighted the creation. Ever since that, ever since that time, God, God has sent a Savior. He has sent the Lord Jesus Christ in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is our great need uh, this afternoon. This is the great need of all mankind that they need to be saved. And this is why this message is of universal importance and application. None of us can, can ignore or avoid this message because it affects us. Because one day, friends, we will have to give account for our sins. The Bible tells us of that terrible day that's coming. Terrible in the sense that it will be awesome. For we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad what's the apostle Paul talking about there when he spoke to the Corinthians or when he wrote to the Corinthians he's talking about that great day of judgment the Bible tells us that there will be a great general day of judgment when all who have ever lived will stand before him now we can shake our heads at this if you like many people do but one day friend you'll not shake your head at this no I'm quite happy to keep my mouth open sir thank you very much I'm glad you're hearing one day one day sir the Bible tells us one day there'll be a day of judgment a day when we'll all stand before the Lord Jesus all who ever lived and we'll give account not just of the things we've done not even just the things that we've said but even the very thoughts we will give account for how will you fare on that great day of judgment you won't be able to hire a great lawyer or a king's counselor or any other legal eagle it will be simply you and the Lord Jesus Christ how will you fare how will it be when all your thoughts shall be laid bare when all your blasphemies and your swears and all the hard things that you said you'll give account for emotions all your sins everything there the world seeing you for what you really are how will it be how will you fear friends surely this is a time then when we must seek the savior surely none of us wants to have our sins exposed in this manner in the full view of the public that we might truly see what we are surely this is a time to seek the Lord this is why we come out for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad and the Apostle Paul then goes on to say knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men and we would like to step in his footsteps there and we would like to come out and try to persuade men as far as possible as far as it lies within us to persuade men to consider today here and now the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Bible tells us today is the day of salvation now is the accepted time we're to seek the Lord now we're not to wait till later on now is the time while we have opportunity while we have life while we have strength while this opportunity is before us now we are to seek him that's why Solomon the wisest man of the Old Testament what does he say remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth while the evil days come not nor thy years draw nigh when thou shalt say I have no pleasure in them 
Matthew is giving an exhortation and uh, an instruction, an advice to the young. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Remember now. And there are many young people here this afternoon. You are to remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not. What are the evil days? The evil days are the days of old age. And why are the evil days? They are evil days because they are difficult days. And as one gets older one realizes this. You cannot do what you once did when you were 20 or 30. Now that you are 60 or 70 or 80. And they are evil days in the sense that you don't have your same faculties that you once had. And therefore Solomon would urge us while we have strength, while we have vigor, while we have our minds, while we have physical strength, while we have life, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Now is the time, friend, to seek him. Isaiah says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. There's no other way to be reconciled to God. There's no other way to be right. We have to seek the Lord now, while we can, because that day will come when we'll not be able to. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The psalmist goes on to speak on the same subject. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. This is what we must do. Isaiah says also in the Old Testament to us this afternoon, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him unto our God for he will abundantly pardon. There is a great incentive to us. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Is it not true that today, even here, even in this manner, that the Lord and his gospel has been proclaimed unto you? Therefore the Lord is here in his word. It's time now to seek him. It's time now to call upon him while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. The Lord draws near at certain times in our lives. Maybe this is the first time you've heard the gospel. Maybe this is the first time that you've been told that you must repent and believe the gospel. That you must make a, a, a reaction to the Lord Jesus. It's no good just heeding about him. You must call upon him. He must be your Lord and he must be your Savior. You must be one who truly follows him. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Here's a call to repentance. Here's a call to turn our backs upon our old life. 
Here's a call to leave our sins behind. And this is all part and essential to the gospel call. We are to believe and we are to repent. This is what's required of us. This is what the Bible calls conversion. What is a Christian, friends? A Christian is one who has been converted. He's been saved from his old life. Do you know anything of this? Do you know a conversion experience? Do you know what it's like to take up your cross and to follow the Lord Jesus? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. It's to be a wholehearted repentance. To turn our backs upon our old lives, upon our sins. It's a new life in Christ. This is what it is. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things.